Welcome to Rough Drafts, how God writes his love in our stories, a podcast that explores the faith journeys of our friends and neighbors in Burns, Tennessee. Everyone has a story to tell. And in this podcast, we'll hear powerful and inspiring stories of how God works in the ordinary lives of people like you and me. Our stories are unfinished and perfectly imperfect. They're just rough drafts, a glimpse of what is to come because God is still at work, writing plot twists, introducing new characters, and bringing good even from the most challenging circumstances. Join us as we see what God is up to in our stories. Here's your host, Matthew Hyatt. So today's guest was nearly a widow, and the reason for that was I was on a mission trip one time, and her husband thought it would be funny to stage a chainsaw accident, and I nearly had a heart attack, and I nearly killed him. But she promises me that she has trained him better than that, and she's had him for quite some time. Today's guest uh, has worked in social work, helping with children's services, doing all sorts of things to try to advocate for some of the ones who it's so easy for them to fall through the cracks. I'm really glad for you to meet my friend, Amanda Feltz. Amanda, welcome. (laughs) Hi. So you stayed up last night making notes for this. Yes. If you need to understand anything about me, it's that I'm absolutely nothing like Josh. (laughs) So I'm the stay up all night, prepare, take notes, have a plan person. And Josh is the let's have fun. Let's see where this goes person. Yes, he is uh, the seat of his pants. (laughs) Yes. And you have already hemmed the seat of his pants. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I'm really glad you agreed to do this. I know there's some trepidation, but that's okay. Uh, Everybody feels a little bit awkward about talking in front of a microphone, telling their story. And this is one of the ones I'm really looking forward to because I don't know your story. (laughs) So uh, we get to learn it together. It's going to be fun. So, Amanda, what's your story? Oh, I think to talk about my story, you know, you mentioned that as a social worker, You know, I advocate for those that don't always have someone or that fall through the cracks. And for me, I think that starts a lot with me as a child falling through the cracks. Um, A lot of my story comes from just trying to be the person that I needed when I was a kid. Mm. And, you know, not having a father and learning about the father's love and accepting that into my life. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a start. Yeah, it sure is. So so walk me through it. How did you, where were you, where are you, and how did you get from A to B? Okay. Uh, so I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Hurricane Mills, trailer park off of an exit near Loretta Lynn's, um, with a single mom, mostly, as an only child. So... You know, it was a struggle. Yeah. Uh, Love my mom, but she had a lot of things she struggled with. So life was kind of hard as a kid. So, you know, my dad wasn't around. He had his struggles with alcohol abuse, mental health stuff. Mom had her struggles with substance things and mental health things as well. So I spent a lot of childhood taking care of myself Mm. and learning to rely on myself, you know, like that adults weren't really there to take care of you. Yeah. They're kind of getting in the way. (laughs) Yeah. When when you're doing better at self-care than the people who should be caring for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as a kid, things were kind of lonely. Like I said, I was an only child, too, so there weren't really a lot of kids around either. So, in my imagination, I had a pretty good one as a kid, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Did we have a lot of imaginary friends? Oh, so many. Um, one was actually a rock. <laughs> okay. That's that's commitment right there. Right? All the way commitment. I love yeah. it. I love it. Uh, I did have some cool people in my life, like my grandfather. He was a school teacher. He was like the only person in our family at that point to have gone to college. So he was a really good person to help guide me. He would answer any question I ever had. And he was, you know, loving and caring. He would play pretend with me and all of that stuff. But I didn't have a lot of God-following people in my life. So that wasn't really modeled for me a lot as a kid. I had a great aunt that decided that she was going to help me and take me to church. Um, So my first introductions to church were a little odd. Um, She, you know, she was like, ah, this poor child was born out of wedlock. Her parents have pierced her ears. (laughs) There's no hope for her. I must save her. <laughs> so did we have like a, a healing service to close the ear holes to <laughs> reclaim quite. your soul? Not quite. But on Sundays for a little while in my life, at least, she would, I would walk over to her house. Uh, she'd dress me up, put me in little Sunday, Sunday hats. And I would go to the little church in town and have the best naps I've ever had in my life. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> See, my profession does have something that it offers the world. Man, that, I, I found peace. Not the way that I probably was supposed to, but I got some really good naps and had some really great food. They they had meals after every Sunday service, so it was pretty nice. Okay, so I'm not trying to read into this. I'm not trying to yeah. go any further. But when you describe somebody, the way you said it made it sound like this is someone who probably has some good intentions, who probably has a pretty strict religious worldview who comes in saying, I'm going to fix this kid. And the issues we see are pierced ears and we're living in a house that has people with addictions. Yes. That feels like missing the forest for the trees. <laughs> it, it felt like that as a kid too. Obviously I didn't have the you know ability that I have now to look back and see what might be going on. But at the time I was just like, uh, okay, I'll come here and eat some good food and go yeah. to sleep. So, I mean, was it um, was it just sort of a, these people don't really know what they're talking about, or was it hurt, or was it, what, what was your experience? Was it just there? I don't know, honestly. You know, we never really had a close relationship. I think maybe she was trying to do what she thought she was supposed to do. Yeah. But, like I said, kind of missing the mark. Yeah. On what, what we needed to focus on. Well, you described two family members, one who knew how to play with your imaginary friends and make you feel seen and heard and another you said we're going to fix you yeah and and again those were my words not yours so if any of these (laughs) people are listening she's not being mean to you they're dead okay okay. oh we can talk about all we want then (laughs) jerks no yeah Yeah. okay so so what happens next um so you know just kind of growing up living life um Probably I'd say the next big things that happened in life would be, you know, being a teenager, young teen, 
early, early teen, those types of times in life, you know. Fun times. Uh, <laughs> no, not fun times. Um, I always think of those people that are like, you know, this, remember, these are the best years of your life. Whew, I'm so glad I did not listen to those people. Yeah, they are liars <laughs> and they had really sad lives. Yeah, so if you're a teen listening to this, these are not the best years of your it life. It gets better. It gets so much better. <laughs> so much better. One thing, you eventually get a fully functioning brain and that helps a lot. So what's the research say now? Like it's 25, 27 yeah. before your brain is fully yep. whatever. About the age of 25. So yeah. you had a lot of time to develop that. And that makes things a lot easier. It, it's really interesting. You know, there's been some research about how um, adolescence has been elongated, probably both culturally and physiologically. Um, yet, despite that, we put more adult responsibilities on our pre-tween, our tweens. Absolutely. I don't know where I'm going with that, but it just seems like <laughs> a problem, you know? Oh, it uh, sure is. And I think that connects a lot with you know my story as as a kid you know I was taking care of myself you know no one was worried about me getting up for school no one cared about what my grades were like or what was going on so I had to learn to become internally motivated mm. so yeah I look at my kids now and I'm like oh my goodness get up do something. Do your chores. <laughs> it's because I, I never had that. So I'm like, what is going on here? So it's hard for me to connect to that sometimes because I was like, no one cared. So I had to care a lot. So why do you think you ended up internally motivated as opposed to, I mean, there's a lot of kids you put them in that situation where they just don't. I mean, you did. Yeah. I think you did okay in school. I mean, oh, yeah, I did good. I, I was a nerd for sure. Yeah. I mean, was that an escape for you? Why do you think you ended up? Yeah, um, I think that helps start a little bit of my God story. But okay. Because there was always something. Yeah. I did not know what it was. I didn't have a name for it or an understanding for it. There was always something there, you know, a conscience, uh, something in the back of my head that would be like, don't do this other stuff do this not to say i did not make bad choices <laughs> i made tons of bad choices who doesn't yeah but there was something that i was trying to to find you know a connection i think you know not having a good male role model in my life and a father figure you know shaped a lot of my decisions and so i spent a lot of my teenage years trying to find that in boys and uh, so shocker, teenage boys, it's not a good place to find anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find some things. Just yeah, not just things, not the good things that you need in life no. at that moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, yeah. that's like, that story is as old as time, right? You know, yeah. I'm missing this thing. I go looking for a replacement and what I get is a bad knockoff that does me more harm. You know, I end up with the same sort of people that abandoned me to start with. Absolutely. Lots of unhealthy relationships, lots of unsafe situations, but I was also, I was like the mom of my group. Okay. Shocker, right? Um, but I was always taking care of people. So even though we were, you know, at really unsafe places doing unsafe things, I was the one that was like, oh, okay, y'all, y'all got to calm down. Yeah, we got to make sure no one dies. Here. Yeah, exactly. Like we're not, we're not going to go this far. We're not going to do this thing. You're not going to get into this trouble. 
Yeah. You know, so I was that person, I think because I had that something yeah. at the time of like, don't do this. You so, can, you can do better, you know, in my head. So how did that something develop in you further? Um, so fast forward through high school years, I wish I could have done that in real life. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but, um, you know, as I'm growing up, I'm trying to figure out what I want and only things I knew for sure were the things that I didn't want. Mm. So the things that were modeled for me, what family looked like, what, you know, work looked like, what life and health and all of that looked like, I knew I didn't want those things for me. Right. So I knew I had to find something else. And so my grandfather, you know, he was around, he was given, you know, sprinkles of good things, positivity, all of that. And, you know, education was important to him. And so he was like, you know, just go to college. If you don't know what else you want to do, let's start there. Yeah. And so that kind of was a motivator for me through high school of like, I want to do something else. How do I get out of here <laughs> realistically? And to do that, I'm going to do that with an education. Okay. So I'm going to start there. Yeah. So, you know, I had my family like, you cannot go to college. This, you're never, we can't afford that. That's not an option. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to get out of here. Okay, that's incredible. <laughs> because to have your family around you saying you can't do this and saying I'm going to find a way, I mean, it's a rare person who <laughs> who can make that leap. Yeah, for sure. So where'd you end up? Where'd you go? Uh, Austin P. Okay, let's go P. <laughs> yep, and the other one. Yeah. <laughs> the other one. Uh, show your penis. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear I that one. I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was P E A Y dash N E S S. That's before right. I get phone calls. And she said that, <laughs> not me. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to that social worker, and yep. <laughs> so I ended up at Austin P. Go go. You know, yeah, it was close, but not too close. So you know, it was a good over hour away from home. So I could get some distance, but not too much distance if I needed to come back. I don't think people understand how significant of the college journey just not being at home is. Like getting yeah. at least not sleeping at home. And yeah. like I get sometimes you have to for financial and family responsibilities and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I'm grateful for Tennessee Promise for opening the doors for people. Yeah, it's amazing. But on the same token, it makes me a little bit sad because I think it's made it a lot easier for a lot of people to stay at home which I think has robbed them of some of what matters most. Yeah. Because I think the most important things that happened in college probably happened around midnight in the dorm. Yeah. Not at 10 a.m. in a classroom. Yeah. But, you know. I think so. So I go to college. I don't know what I'm really doing. Just know that I'm going. <laughs> you're going You're going to be there. Yeah. And I was, I was fully undecided. So I just went in with no major. I know a lot of people, you know. Either, no, quote, know what they want to do, haha, ha, they don't, Yeah. or they decide what they're going to do a million different times. Change majors 43 times. And so I, I think that that probably speaks to me as a person. I'm a, a cautious person, okay. you know. I don't run <laughs> headfirst into anything. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to spend at least this first year, and I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. So I'm, you know, take core classes and just kind of research jobs and what speaks to me okay. and so i'd always said you know like uh, if i can't figure it out i'll be a teacher 
Okay. That was her like vault kind of bag. Of your grandfather. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I could. I, I knew I wanted to do something with kids. I wanted to do something to help kids because as I, you know, transitioned from being there for the kids that were kids with me. As I get older and the people around me get older, I'm the person who's like, you know, at the party looking out for these other people's kids that are there. Yeah. (laughs) So like, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't let loose really, but I'm not, you know, being wild and crazy. I'm hanging out with the friends, but I'm watching out like, oh, someone's got a kid over here. Yeah. Let me see what's going on. What are they getting into? Let me make sure they're okay. Yeah. So that was just, just part of me of like... Something in me was like, watch out for these little kids. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need to do something with kids. So as I started researching things and learning about social work, I was like, okay, I think this is something that I could do. Yeah. So I think I was one of the rare people in the world that was like, I want to work in child welfare. Yeah. That was my goal in college was to work with kids who had experienced abuse and neglect, had experienced some things that I had experienced and provide some intervention yeah and maybe help possibly make things a little easier for well, you started today by saying you wanted to be who you needed as a child and here you are yeah and so that was i was like okay so this is what i'm gonna do i had some really good opportunities in college to i got a stipend and i qualified to kind of get money from the state and take some classes in agreement that when I got out of college, I would work for them for a certain oh, period of time. Okay. So a really cool opportunity that made that work out for me. That's nice. Yeah. But, you know, while I'm in college, I'm also struggling with a lot of mental health stuff. So that was a problem as a kid, too. I had a lot of, I don't know why, but <laughs> I had a lot of anxiety um and in depression and so I struggled with that off and on as a kid as a teen and then when I went away to college you know I was glad for that freedom but I was also very overwhelmed well it's funny like even though you didn't have a safety net at home it was the comfort of the familiar yeah what you know when you go to college like I am now navigating new friend groups new opportunities new living arrangements new everything yeah so I lived on campus the first year. Okay. And then I did not go back to campus after that. Um, and it was a fun time. Like, you know, I got there and the dorms were m- covered in mold. So I lived in the hotel for a while. That's and <laughs> so there was a lot of things that made it very tumultuous, I guess. So I was like, oh, this is terrifying. This is too much. Yeah. So I moved back back home okay for my so sophomore year yeah who that's tough yeah and it was a good like hour and 15 hour and 30 yeah drive to get there every day you think it's hard enough to get a college kid to wake up the time for class when they got to walk three minutes <laughs> yeah to make that drive uh yeah it was fun for sure so how many tickets no, no, no. <laughs> strangely enough none wow yeah. that's just because there's no one in yeah no one's college, yeah no one's uh, no one's on those roads <laughs> Yeah, and if they are, they're not. Yeah, it's not for good reason. <laughs> That's right. So okay, you, you are fine. You just had to yeah. buy. Yeah. So I go back home, you know, and at the time I had a serious boyfriend who wasn't at college. So that probably helped me coming back home too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, got to get back close to the boyfriend. 
got to figure this out. So I spent some time commuting. And then a little while later, and, you know, while I'm at college, I mean, there's there's no ch- church. There's no talks of yeah. church. There's no talks of God. None of that is any part of my life whatsoever. Right. So I don't have anyone in my life that's, you know, talking about that. There's no, like, won't you come to church with me or anything like that. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I love when I hear about um, what Bethany and Tyler are doing with the Gap Ministry. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. That would have been nice. Yeah, it would have been really nice. I don't know if I would have been receptive, but maybe, maybe it's possible. Yeah, well, just having yeah. the option. Yeah, because that was, you know, all the times were hard, but I was definitely not looking for God in any shape, form, or fashion in that time right. in my life. So... Yeah, serious boyfriend, moving out on my own. I get a, a friend from high school, ends up, we're studying social work together. We decide to move in together. Okay. So she and I get an apartment in Dixon. Okay. Is this where like the ominous music starts playing? <laughs> bah, bah, bah. No. <laughs> so Dixon was kind of like a compromise for us. You okay. know, Clarksville, huge city, yeah. crazy, a lot going on, you know, out in Humphreys County, Nothing is right. going on. No one is there willingly. So <laughs> so we were, so Dixon was a good compromise for us. We were like, okay, we can go to a bigger city, have things like movie theaters and pizza delivery, yes. coolest things. Like what? Hey, I don't get pizza <laughs> delivery where I live. Yeah. So. yeah. so that was a new concept. Um, so we could do that. We could get out on our own and we could focus on, on school. So we did that for a while. Um kind of got some things under control, you know, enough. I was always really good and probably still am good at pushing things down, 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 down. Well, that's what most people <laughs> getting do it under they just control. kind of shove it in a corner and hope it doesn't explode. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm able to get, you know, the panic attacks and the anxiety and all of that under control, focus, and, you know, get it together. So I get to graduate college. Makes me, yeah, so I graduate college and I'm like, all right, now I know what I'm, I've got it all together now, right? I got it all figured <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, that is where the punchline of that joke is for sure. Now I got it all figured out. I'm going to go get this job that I've always wanted. I'm going to be, you know, independent, got the serious boyfriend, you know, like I know where this is going. I know where my life is going. You know, I've got plans. I'm going to figure out the job or we'll get married have a bunch of kids, live happily ever after. Yeah. That was what I was thinking. And then, you know, I start working at DCS. <laughs> and you'll be shocked to know that that is a very hard job. Yes. To do. Well, you deal with people going through life's best moments and they're happy <laughs> and responsible and cooperative and communicative. Yeah, they're so happy to have me in their lives. Yeah, a DCS worker knocks on the door and thinks, oh, this is the best day of my, my life. Yeah. So, you know, I had experienced hard things. I had seen hard things. But this was a different side of things. Okay. You know, I think for myself, I was like, okay, I know what's happening. I can control this. And then I was introduced more to a world of here are these little kids and then here are these parents and bad things have happened. And I come in and I'm like, OK, I think every social worker probably in the beginning is like, I'm going to fix stuff. <laughs> There's this I think this, you know, rainbows and butterflies view of like 
I'm good. This is what I'm going to be. I'm a social worker and I'm going to fix people. Yeah. I'm going to fix stuff. How'd that work out? It did not. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't fix stuff. I didn't fix people. I think I helped. Yeah. And I think that's really what it's about with social work is you're helping. I'm not a cure. There's no such thing as fixing people. No, <laughs> there's really not. If you're dating someone and you're trying to fix them, just go ahead and dump them. It's going to save everybody a lot of time and trouble. I wish you would have been with me in that time and you told know. me that. Well, you couldn't hurt it. <laughs> no, I would not have heard it. No, absolutely not. Because that was me. You know, I was I would find the boy that really needed someone to save them and fix them. Yeah. And I would take on that project. And so that was, you know, at home, I was trying to do that. And then what happens? Because you, know, <laughs> you follow the same two or three trajectories. Either you can't fix them, which is always true. Um, yeah. And they start to resent you for your efforts or it's so discouraging you give up on them. Yeah. Because this project doesn't work. Or sometimes you actually do help them and now they outgrow you. Yeah. You, in a, so it, there's never a happy ending to the I fix people. Oh, no, no, no. We were we were people who cared about each other. Yeah. But we were not good for each other. Right. You know, anytime you go into a relationship with a I'm going to fix you or they're going into it of, you know, I'm so broken, so hopeless. There's, you know, I'm the worst. Anytime you try to help me, you know, I'm yeah. the I'm the worst, you know, you. You deserve better. I, you know, I'm just a horrible person. That's not a good dynamic. No. <laughs> That's not it's a good dynamic. Those, you laugh a little bit because it almost is true. Yeah. You know, it's not true in the way they think it's true, but it's it's true in a different yeah. sort of horrible way. Yeah. So trying to find my purpose in fixing him, the boyfriend, and then trying to fix these other people, these parents, was... Not working out. It was hard. It was nothing was going the way that it was supposed to go. So it was a it was a dark place. You know, I saw the worst of people and people in the worst seasons of their entire lives. And that was a very hard place to be. And so eventually, you know, I'm getting to a point where I'm like, I can't do this. I am, you know, life is not going the way that I wanted it to go. Nothing's working out. Um, So I got to try to figure out what to do. So this is probably like in my early 20s. I'm getting to probably like 24, 25. Hmm. Brain starting to become fully developed. (laughs) It's funny how this works. Where I'm like, okay, I'm starting to realize that I don't have to stay in toxic places i don't have to be in bad places so i can figure out other ways so the first order of business is getting rid of the boyfriend and so at this point we had been dating for seven years so we dated through the end of high school all throughout college early days at working at dcs seven years is a long time yeah. So is he in the Cumberland River or the <laughs> Tennessee River? No, I mean, he, he still uh, lives, to my knowledge, uh, you know, married, family. Things, I think things are going good for, good for him now. Good. It just, we were not right for each other. Right. In in every sense of the word. And that's a responsible grown-up thing to be able to say. It, it's not, 
it's not the right relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I think people with all the best intentions can come in and just not be the best for each other. Yeah. No matter how bad you want it to be, it's just not right. Right. And so God really comes into the picture around this time. Okay. Um, you know, I think we we talk about in a lot of our lessons and studies that, you know, when you're in a bad place, <laughs> you know, you, you get down that, quote, rock bottom. When things get bad, you got nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. And I think and it makes you more receptive to, to God, to something else. When you're flat on your back, there's nowhere to loop it up. Yeah. And, you know, as bad as this relationship was, or and I'm not, again, not trying to put words in your mouth. Yeah. The end of a seven-year relationship is going to be a time of pain and loneliness and recalibration. Oh, yeah. It was, it was devastating. Everything that I thought I'd saw for my life was not there anymore. You know, and at this point, I'm like, I'm 25. And at the time, I'm thinking, like, this is the it. Like, what? What? I got to figure it out now or nothing is ever going to happen. You know, I was like, That's I've so wasted much so much of my life, my prime, you know, <laughs> all of those silly thoughts in my head. Um, and I had some really good friends that I had made here in Dixon. Um, one of those was my friend, Chansey. She is my very best friend. And, you know, when I met her, she was young and yeah, she became you know a young mom and she dated around and I was, you know, I was steady, you know, date the same guy forever. Um, so I would, you know, be her counsel. So she'd come to work and be like, oh, let me tell you about this story or yeah. this story. Um, and she had, you know, some people in her life that she was trying to figure out, do I like this guy? Should I date this guy? Um, and I would have nicknames for them <laughs> to, you know, keep the keep and people sure straight. All, all flattering. <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh was Comcast because he worked at Comcast okay. at the time. And so she would tell me about these people. And I remember one day I met Josh. She brought him in. We worked at Claire's. We worked in retail um, when I was in college. Wait, wait. You didn't need the devil's work piercing ears, did you? I did. Oh, no. I absolutely did. <laughs> this has come full circle. Not so funny. I never made that connection. Mm. <laughs> That's how it happened. That's for sure how it happened. <laughs> so I worked at Claire's with her, and she brought Josh in one day. And I met him. And he does not remember this. He didn't remember me when we first met. Tsk, tsk, tsk. But he left, and I turned to her, and I said, pick that one. Uh, keep uh, that one yeah and she's like what i was like that that's a good guy right there yeah like that's a keeper i'm so glad she didn't listen to me <laughs> because when i get out of the serious relationship you know i spent some time trying to figure out life and uh yeah, I live, actually lived here in Burns. I lived up the street over on Scott Drive. Yeah. And, you know, I was just trying to figure out who I was and what was going on. And then at some point, you know, a little while later, I was like, okay, I think I might be ready to date. Yeah. Anybody have any anyone that I could meet? And so Chansey is a bit of a matchmaker. Okay. And so she's like, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because she was prepared with, you know. She had a spreadsheet already. Yeah, pretty much a PowerPoint presentation of, here, let me tell you everything I know about this person and why they're perfect for you. And that was a bit intimidating, you know. Like she, I mean, she told me probably like his life story in text format before I ever met him okay. this time around. And then I had 
um, some other friends that were setting me up with other people. So, you know, dating and uh, getting to know a couple of different people at the time. Um, and then she's like, okay, meet Josh. I'm like, that guy you dated? I don't know about that. Like, I don't know if I... I don't want your leftovers. Right? I was like, I don't know. I mean, he seemed really cool at the time. I was like, but I don't know if I want to date someone that you dated. That's yeah. weird. It's like dating you by proxy. Yeah, I was like, that's weird. I don't know about all that. Um, but I I caved. I gave in. And we hung out. We, we this met. This is what happens to peer pressure, boys and girls. <laughs> Listen. Right? Careful. You'll end up married to Josh Feltz. Right? Wow. <laughs> uh, I don't know. As hard as the time I give him, he's one of the best things that ever happened to me, for sure. He's good people. He is. And so, you know, no one in my life really talked about God. Like I said, church was not a thing. I actually think Burns here sent me a welcome to the neighborhood thing when I moved to Burns. Yeah, that this was, was like 2011, 2012 yeah. time period. And there was like a, you know, a little bag that says Burns Church of Christ with like a banana and a bottle of water or something. Yeah. And uh, that stayed in my house for a long time. I was like, oh, this is a really good bag. This is a good uh, <laughs> reusable grocery bag. So, yeah, that was just a funny thing later on when I went through my pantry and I was like, hey. These people I'm, have been stolen. Yeah, they, they infiltrated and I didn't know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't right. looking for, you know, I was really you in looking the. Looking for Comcast. What you yeah, I was for. looking for a man. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, all throughout this, something is always missing, mm-hmm. you know. There's always something that I'm looking for is, you know, like a connection, purpose, a family, you know, and, you know, now I know father. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, none of that is on my radar whatsoever. Um, If someone said something about going to church, I'm like, okay, no, thank you. That sounds horrible. I want to sleep. Right. (laughs) Like Sunday, get up in the morning. No, thank you. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, sounds horrible. So then Josh Feltz comes into my life. And it doesn't take very long for me to figure out that he's different from these all the other boys. He's different. He was different from anyone I had ever dated. And it was fascinating because this is where I really think God is starting to work. Chancey and Josh had been friends for years. Like they had spent time together. They dated. They had just been friends through, you know, church stuff and living in White Bluff and all of that. And she would have parties. She would have gatherings. She would do stuff. And, you know, like I said, she was my best friend. So I was around and Josh was around, but we were never around together. Okay. So somehow through the four years or so, we didn't come into contact again after that meeting at Claire's (laughs) where I said he was a keeper which is for the absolute best (laughs) he can tell you his story later on but you know he was hanging out going to parties yeah and I've never been a hang out go to parties kind of girl yeah (laughs) and so I would have very quickly been like nah I'm good (laughs) (laughs) I don't need that in my life (laughs) I didn't get invited so yeah so it was a you know a time in his life where he was not doing things that he was proud of. Right. 
And so when we got together, it was a time in both of our lives that we were like, all right, I need something different. So when we started dating, you know, we, and we were dating, right? You're getting to know someone. You're having all the late night conversations where you're just chatting about everything. And yeah. I'm learning his side to his story since Chancey had already given me all the details of his life. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that about you. Fascinating. <laughs> trying, trying to pretend <laughs> like it's the first time. You uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but one thing that I loved about Josh is... Like I said earlier, he was everything that I was not and am not. You know, I was always, I'm the anxious person. I'm the planner. I've got to have plan A, B, C, D, and E, and F before I leave the house. Right. And he's like, hmm, the wind's blowing this direction. Let's go to a circus. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, like he's fun. He's positive. He's even-tempered. And that's something that I'd never had in my life. Mm. Not a lot gets a rise out of Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of things get a rise out of me. So that was what made him different, I think, is he was just, he was friendly, he was kind, and he wasn't complicated. And that was fascinating to me because you know, he dealt, he and I connected because we dealt with a lot of similar things growing up. Like yeah. we had a lot of shared stuff or like, whew, times were hard. How did we get where we're at? And how are we here? And we're not in jail. We're not on drugs. We're not dealing with all the stuff we see the people around us because dealing with. Because it could have been. Easily. Okay, since you're the planner in your relationship, you really need to schedule a time for Josh to do this. Cause... <laughs> I will. I'll put it on the calendar. Okay, just let, it, let I'll me let know him when know. he's coming. I'll <laughs> let you know for sure. We could do a couple's week. Like, we'll do, you know, the two of y'all's It'll be cute. It'll be real cute. Yeah, yeah. I won't let him listen to yours. Don't worry. He can't. He can't. Good, yeah. Title. No, he can't. Because he'd be wrong anyway. Well, that's right. <laughs> so this was, um, you know, they say opposites attract. One thousand percent. But it really sounds like a pretty cool thing, the way that worked. No, it worked amazingly. So, you know, we're, we're getting to know each other. We're getting to know about our lives. We're sharing things, and I noticed a pattern pretty early on. You know, he'd talk about the hard stuff, and it was tough. And he'd talk about this place that he went. He talked about this church. He talked about these people. He talked about God. <laughs> no one in my life talked about God. Yeah. Um, he would, you know, share scripture. He would share Bible stories, and I was like, really? Never heard of that before. Um, so he would say things that I had never heard from anyone before. And I noticed that when he talked about this place, these people, this God, he lit up. Yeah. He was happy. He was joyful. These were fond memories of the fun things in the youth group and, you know, the things that they put Granny and Papa Todd through <laughs> and, you know, the camp stories and all of that stuff. Yeah, they took years off of Tom and Carol's life. I think. <laughs> they did, but they they gave it to them because, yes. you know, there's this quote um, that says, you know, every kid's one caring adult away from being a success story. Mm -hmm. And that is something that resonates in my life. Like every kid needs just one caring adult to really make a difference in their life. And Josh had more than that, fortunately. You know, like he had the Todds. He had great people at the church that he grew up in yeah and 
as he would talk about these things, I'd never, I never had those experiences. Like growing up, my mom would get on kicks where we would go to church. Yeah. And we'd like go to some interesting places. Yeah. And I'd see some really uh, interesting ways to worship. And I was like, whoa, that's terrifying. Not for me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what are these people doing on the floor? Where are they? What are they saying and doing? And those things just uh, really turned me off from the whole idea of church, too. So I was like, made it feel crazy to you. Yeah. And I didn't want crazy. I didn't want chaotic. I didn't want scary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I needed calm. I needed love. I needed all of those other things. So when he talked about this, I was like, huh, I've never heard anyone talk about these things in such a way. And so one day I said, like, can can we go there? Well, like, is this a place where we, that I could go, that we could go together, that we could experience again? Yeah. Um, And that's kind of, you know, where things changed. And so this, that was early on in our relationship, like probably a month in. Oh, wow. Okay. That's early. That's quick. (laughs) Yeah. Like we started dating and, you know, like I said, it was really easy to see that something about that place and that time in his life was different. And all of that sounded like things that I needed yeah. in my life. Good, different. And I wanted. And so I thought, you know what, let's, let's try this out. And that's all the push that he needed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, he had, you know, gone in and out of church and stuff. And he was like, okay, let's do this. So we go, we go to church where he grew up and we meet a lot of people. I yeah. meet the Todd's. Uh, I met Bethany <laughs> and Allie Godwin mm-hmm. at, as as kids. They were in high school, I think. Okay. And they ran across the room and hugged me viciously <laughs> and said, oh, thank God. <laughs> we didn't think Josh would ever find someone. <laughs> You're real. You exist. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> A little much. Yeah, it stuff. was a lot. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. Um, met Granny and Papa Todd, and Granny always described Josh as the elusive butterfly. Yes. And I said, well, I've captured him. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was pretty funny. So I got to meet all these people. And so we started going. We started attending regularly at church. I, mean, I guess as regularly as, as we could. Because, I mean, I still really loved sleep. I mean, I get it. And I worked a really hard job. I was still at DCS, still doing all of that. Uh, So we started going to church. And, you know, and I start hearing about this God. And I start, you know, getting to know people and reading the Bible and learning things. And I got to experience things like, you know, helping out with the youth group, we would, you know, we would go attend things. We'd go to Devo's with the kids, and we went to camp. And so my first time at church camp was as a counselor. (laughs) So I think that was a pretty interesting perspective. And I think that's where I met you. (laughs) Yes, that's where I met you. I remember chatting, and I remember telling Josh, like, that's so funny. And he's like, he preacher over it. Burns. And I said, what? <laughs> He's a preacher. <laughs> oh, I don't believe anything I must have said. Well, it wasn't, I liked you. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we can hang out. We can be friends. 
Because I, I like complicated people. Yeah. I like people that are authentic. Mm. And I liked that about you. I appreciate that. Oh, edit, edit that out. Don't, uh, don't yeah, include yeah. that. No, can't I, compliment I, I you. That and I saved it forever. <laughs> oh, oh no. Every episode from what here happened? on out, Matthew is the best. <laughs> Take that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so as we're like going through and we're at church and, you know, I, like I told you, I'm a planner, right? Like I have to know what I'm getting into. So I started out with like, okay. So I'm going to learn everything about the Bible. I'll understand the Bible. I'll understand God. And then that's when I could do that whole baptism thing yeah. and commit my life. Uh, well, <laughs> so that wanted, was my plan. You wanted to read the contract before you signed. For sure. Yeah. So I, I was like, I don't, I didn't have that foundation. You know, a lot of kids in my life, you know, they, yeah. they grew and people, adults in my life, you know, grew up in church. And so they got the Sunday school class and learned the Bible stories. Well, in and, the South, that's kind of a thing. Yeah. And so I didn't have that. So even now, many years later, you know, a lot of times people in classes will say, well, you know the story of so-and-so. Yeah. I don't know the story of so-and-so, or I didn't. And so I would often, sometimes I would, you know, be brave enough to be like, can you, can you tell that story? Tell me that story. Can you remind me of that story? Or I'd take some notes. Yeah, and then afterwards they're like, "Hey, Josh, can you show me this, sir? That one? What are they talking about?" And that's one of the things that's hard. I know this is not the point of the podcast, but it's yeah. really hard for church people who've been around each other for a long time not to develop insider language, kind of almost an inside joke about the Bible because they they know what they know and they assume everybody else does. Yeah, and I think that's just the filter that a lot of people look through life of my experiences or other people's experiences. Yes, that's what everybody's filter is. Yeah, that's everyone's experiences. And this is what everyone should do because this is how it goes. Yeah. Um. So I've, I'm different. I like it. <laughs> so I, I would sit in a lot of classes and be totally lost. Yeah. And I was like, how can I ever commit my life to God if I don't know anything? Yeah. <laughs> so I was so confused. Uh we had some really cool people, you know, we did a Bible study with the Todds. We had some really sweet ladies, Miss Rose, Miss Betty, mm-hmm. and that and the Woods, uh, Connie and Carl, yeah. that they they did a Bible study with us with me. Yeah. I think it was a really I mean, they probably got something out of it too, but yeah. I think it was mostly for me because that's something that Josh was like, What do you need? Yeah. And I'm like, I wanna understand this book. Yeah. If I'm going to, you know, follow it, I need to know what I'm doing. Like I said, read the contract, understand the contract before I sign it. And so we spent some time on that, and that was really helpful. But I think this I think that's one of the interesting things for me and my perspective. The Bible is very important. I'm definitely not going to get on your podcast yeah. and say it's not. But memorizing the scripture, knowing word for word, fully 1000% understanding the words. That's not the most important thing. No, nowhere near it. Yeah. And so it's, it's taken me a long time to figure things out. I haven't gotten it all figured out. But that was what was so confusing to me at first is I was like, okay, I've got to figure out this book. I got to understand that. And I was missing the mark, right? Yeah. I was trying to focus on that and not necessarily on God. Yeah. 
And it's about that relationship. And so focusing on it uh, from a relationship perspective has helped me a lot. That makes sense. Like I'm learning about the Bible still. Me too. And still trying to understand things. And I want to understand things. But what I do understand is the love of God. And so as I really start to learn that I am worthy of God's love, that's really what changed things for me. As, you know, growing up with all of that stuff left a lot of baggage (laughs) that I'm still unpacking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But learning, you know, a lot of people come in and I hear a lot of talks about like, we're all bad and, you know, and I hear a lot of that, like, you know, I think I understand where a lot of people are coming from with some of the things that they say, but I was never one that needed to be humbled. Yeah. I needed to be uplifted. I needed to find that I was worthy of God's love. It's so funny. One of the trickiest things about church, and I just don't know any way around this problem, is every week you have opposite people sitting in the pew. You have self-righteous people who need to get, frankly, knocked down a peg or two. (laughs) And you have some people who need to get lifted up a peg or two. Absolutely. So you weren't one of the people who needed knocked down a peg or two. (laughs) Not at all. In fact, that's probably pretty unsafe for me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, inadvertently, you know, the adults in my life, I don't think any of them set out to make me feel unworthy or unloved. I I had adults in my life that loved me, but they just couldn't get their demons under control. So growing up, that was kind of an internal thing, you know, like if your father isn't there and doesn't, you know, can't love you, then what worth do you have? So that was an internal struggle for me throughout my life of like, how good can you be if you can't keep your own parents around? <laughs> so that was hard. When you say it out loud, like the logic of it, yeah, like you know, you just you almost want to scream to yourself, "This it wasn't about you." Yeah, but that's not how any person processes it or feels it. No, that was not my perspective. You know, I I would think you know if I were good enough, if I behaved well enough or did well enough, you know then I could show people that I'm worthy of love. And then what stinks is church reinforces that message. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You know, trying to get people to act right. We, well, You're not acting right. You're disappointing God. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. So in good ways, that aligned with me, and in some bad ways, that aligned with me, too. So part of, you know, my adult journey was learning that, Even I could be loved by God and realizing what a real father is. And, you know, the the Bible stories that I would hear, I was like, wow, God loves us that much? It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. And I I think for a lot of people, that's not a new concept. (laughs) But for me, that was a very new concept of you said recently in one of your lessons, you talked about how, you know, God's got the big refrigerator and our hearts on it. And that 
was such a beautiful thought. I don't know who I stole that from. <laughs> I don't know, but they really knew what they were talking about. Yeah. I mean, you just need to stop and smile a little bit. Yeah. God likes you. He really does. That was beautiful. Because that, I, I mean, I, maybe there were probably some good things, but I, I couldn't remember any of those things. I couldn't remember my art ever being on anyone's refrigerator. Yeah. I couldn't remember any of those good things. So the thought of this parent-child relationship being loving, being someone who takes care of you, being someone that you can rely on, was a very new concept for me. And something that I needed desperately as I was growing up. And it's funny, again, that the, just kind of the tension here of some of the self-reliance you learned from your childhood was a skill that helped you succeed and do well in a lot of things. Yeah, and survive. Uh, but some of it set you up for relational difficulty and religious difficulty. And so like it, it undermined your ability to <laughs> succeed. It did both at the same time. Absolutely. People don't realize how that works. Yeah, for sure. And just coming to grips with all of that. And like I think a lot of 20s is like trying to figure out who you really are. You know, your teens, you think you're, you know... But, you know, in the 20s for me, it was trying to figure out who am I, what do I want, what's going on with life. And so learning about God was such a neat thing for me. And learning about this father that you can trust, that never leaves, that never abandons you, was a very neat <laughs> concept for me. Yeah. And so this is like 2013. And sometime in the summertime, uh, I finally was like, you know what? I'm going I'm to do this baptism thing. Because, you know, I, I psyched myself out already for a while of like, I don't, I don't understand enough. I don't know enough Bible. I don't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't win any Bible Bowl trophies. I wasn't doing good in the trivia. Yeah. How could I? commit myself to this if I don't know every single thing about it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I came to realize that that stuff can come. Mm -hmm. And it's still coming. I'm still yeah. figuring that out. Um, and so decided to be baptized. Mr. Todd baptized me. And that was a really cool moment. But I also was like, all right, did it. Check the box. I got it all figured out now. I've done all the things. <laughs> yeah. So, like, life's going to be so easy now. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? No, it didn't. No. <laughs> Shocker. Um, but I was like, wait, what? So, I leave my position at DCS. I ended up working a different job at DCS. So, a job where I didn't deal with the trauma. That I was recruiting foster parents. I was writing home, stu home studies for foster parents. So that's like getting to know them, getting their story, and just trying to flesh out concerns and things that need to be addressed to see if they're going to be a good fit. So that was a really cool job. So I found a, you know, a job that was working out. And then around October of that year, I had a really big life-changing health scare. So I had been not feeling great for a while physically, like just feeling sick, headaches, all kinds of stuff going on. And so I had two best friends. I had Chansey 
And then I had Robin. And Robin I met through Chansey. And I was telling Robin, she was like my health guru. Yeah. And I kept telling her all this stuff that I was dealing with. And she's like, Amanda, have I ever checked your blood sugar? Because she's a type 1 diabetic. And she had been diagnosed in her early 20s, which a lot of people with type 1 diabetes are diagnosed in their childhood. Um, but she was diagnosed in adulthood. And she's like, man, a lot of your symptoms sound like things that I dealt with. Yeah. She's like, just let me check your blood sugar. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm too busy. I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was busy. I don't care um, my finger. And so one day she just says, Amanda, where are you at right now? And I was like, I'm at work, but I'm actually about to go have lunch at Chansey's house. She just moved to a house down the street from my office, and she invited me to come for lunch. And she yeah. said, I'm coming to you. Like, okay, Robin, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, she's so overreacting. Um, so she checks my blood sugar, and it is almost 600. Okay. So for you non-diabetic uh, folk, norm- normal numbers are between like 80 and 120. Yeah. And so she checked my blood sugar, and she said, all right, Amanda, we're going to the hospital now. And I was, I was laughing at her. I was like, I'm good. Yeah. Like, I don't feel great, but this is not go to the hospital kind of thing. Yeah. So I was definitely not a go to the hospital kind of person. I wasn't right. a, I don't trust anyone, you know, right? Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not I don't, hospital. I don't need doctors. I don't need anyone. I take care of myself. You know, like, that's me. Um, so letting go of control has never been a thing for me. Right. So she's like, all right, we're going to the hospital. So I end up getting diagnosed, you know, doctors, tests, all of this stuff. And turns out, I also have type 1 diabetes. Lucky dog. Yeah. And so everyone at the ER was very confused because they're like, well, who's your doctor? I'm like, I don't, I don't have one. Yeah. And like, who's your primary care doctor? Like, I don't have one. Yeah. They're like, you're, you're going to get one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just laughing. Yeah. Would you like one? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, you're not a known diabetic? I'm like, no. How, how do you know? And so just knowing the number and coming in with her, they were all very confused. They're also very confused, like, you probably shouldn't be standing right now. um, It was a very dangerous situation. So, you know, the high blood sugars like that can lead to death, lead to comas, can lead to very, very bad stuff. And so I really felt like this was a God moment. Yeah. Because, like I said, I'm I'm hard-headed. I'm headstrong. I don't need anyone. There is no scenario in which I would have gone to the doctor. Right. I would have never done that. Right. And so her taking that initiative and saying, like, she was in the middle of, like, painting her house. Oh, wow. Okay. And she was like, you know what? I need to find Amanda. And so that was such a wild moment for me. Because I was like, if it were not for God, I probably wouldn't be standing there. I knew how hard-headed I was. It would take someone grabbing me and saying, we're doing this now. Stabbing your finger when you're not looking. <laughs> Literally you know. stabbing me and yeah. saying, we're going to the hospital. It's good to have a friend who will stab you when you need yeah. it. And just the the fact that she had the same diagnosis. She had experienced very similar things. She walked through that and then walked me through it. So I didn't have to do it alone. That's really cool. And so that was, that was, healthcare was very life changing. Mm-hmm. And that 
you know, I think it helped me realize like, wow, I'm not in control here. Yeah. I can't rely on, you know, just myself. I've yeah. got to let go of a little bit of control. Mm, that's not an easy lesson. It's not. I'm still not that great at it, but I'm getting better at it. I get that. Huh. I get that. So that was a big moment health-wise. And then not too much later, Josh and I end up getting married. Okay. So it was about six months after that point. So we'd just been dating for a year whenever we got married. So <laughs> that was uh, interesting. Everyone was like, Amanda, are you pregnant? Uh, <laughs> why are you getting married so quickly? So we got engaged in December and married in March. Okay, that's yeah, that's quick. <laughs> and I don't do things quick. No. So everyone was like, uh-oh, so something's going you? on. Yeah. yeah, like something's you up. meet him, you go to the hospital, you get yeah. married. I mean, uh, yeah. connect the dots. That was, I think that was an important moment for us because, you know, Josh then saw me in a very vulnerable position. Mm. You're like, Amanda's in control. Amanda's got it together. And then Amanda's in trouble. Yeah. And Amanda's sick. And I think that was a, that was probably a moment for him. And that was an interesting dynamic of, you know, when you get married, it's like sickness and in health, right? Yeah. And that's a really easy promise to make when you're in health. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's real easy. Yeah. You're like, of course I would take care of you if by some off chance you kind of get sick one day a little and bit. By sick, I mean like a cold for two or three yeah, days. Yeah, like Maybe. I would bring you some soup. Yeah, and Sprite. Yeah, but it's different to then... You know, when I get that diagnosis, that's not a take some pills, get better. Right. This is a lifelong diagnosis. You have to manage this. Yeah. So this is something that I will have to deal with my entire life. And if there's a zombie apocalypse, you're in a lot of trouble. I'm dead. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I am dead Uh, in a zombie apocalypse for sure. Man. (laughs) You know, people don't think about how significant having access to insulin is. Yeah. It was huge. And, you know... This diagnosis, a hundred less years ago, was a death sentence. Yeah. So, life changed. I then had to learn to rely on other people. Mm. I had to learn to rely on doctors, and realize that I was now going to have to deal with this forever. And that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Mm, but you're here. You're alive. You've made it. I am. Thank goodness. Well, thank God, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> God is goodness. So, yeah. You know, you say it however you want, but yeah, he, he is. He is the definition. So this has been this has been a journey, you know. And what what I like about your story is it's relatable to me in a lot of ways. In that there are there's not so much lightning bolt moments as there is a progression. Yeah. And it's a progression away from self-reliance towards reliance on God and his people. Yeah. And that's not easy because from a young age, you saw that people will let you down and people fail. Absolutely. Um, so so making that transition, that journey, that growth has been, that's hard, but it's good. Yes. Absolutely. So, you know, I have this health scare, right? And I'm like, okay, well, that was hard. But can't get harder than that, right? Like, (laughs) spoiler, it does. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, we get married and I'm like, all right. So we checked the box. I found the husband, right? I was looking for that. Check, check, check. Got it. So now comes the babies, right? Mm -hmm. Like you learn in school that 
you've got to do everything you can in the world to not have the babies because right. it's just going to happen so fast right? and so easy. Yep. So I assume when we get married, we're going to have babies. Mm-hmm. We don't have babies <laughs> <laughs> yet. And so we go down a very, very dark path of infertility. Mm. And, you know, I dealt with a lot of hard stuff. That was the hardest thing I've ever dealt with. Really? Of all of the stuff that I've said, you know, the trauma, the childhood trauma, all of that stuff is a very lonely and isolating place. And it cultivated a lot of anger and negativity. I was like, here I am. I have found this God. I've found this place. I found this book. I'm doing the stuff I'm supposed to do. I'm checking the boxes. Give me the reward. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, why? I should be able to have a baby, right? Like, I I dedicate my life to helping children. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be an awesome mom. Let me have it. (laughs) And it's no. And it's no. And it's no. Month after month, year after year. And yeah, in the meantime... We're at church, right? Like the new couple at church. What's the question all the when sweet ladies want to ask? Hey, you know what I said? Yeah. To that when when they you know when y'all gonna get married? I put up with it. When y'all gonna have a kid? I don't know. When you gonna have a funeral? That's what <laughs> oh, I does that make say. you feel uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So meanwhile, like all the well-intentioned, precious people at church are asking, "When when are y'all gonna have a baby? When are y'all do that?" And meanwhile, you know, at home. I'm devastated mm-hmm. month after month, heartbroken. Like I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And this is not happening. And it's supposed to happen. I'm watching everyone around me. All my friends, all my family, everyone at church. And I'm like, why not me? Yeah. I thought I was worthy, right? Like I'm learning this. I'm worth this and I deserve things. But then I'm experiencing, why not? And that was really hard. Yeah. To constantly have those questions and have to, you know, for a long time, it was just like, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. This is not something we talk about, right? Like, and what I was experiencing was like, those are not the kind of things we talked about at church. No. <laughs> you know, uh, no one was having those conversations. So, you know, push it down, push it down, push it down. Old habits come back. Absolutely. And feel that distance and that trouble. And then, you know, while all of these things are going on, I'm just trying to figure out what do I do? I was very lost and, you know, in life, in church. You know, I'm showing up sometimes, most of the time. But it's autopilot. Oh, yeah. I'm just sitting there. Every song makes me like, oh, where's my promise? Where's my reward? It's it's a very, it made me feel very selfish. <laughs> I was like, give me these things. Yeah. And so I was angry. I was very mad at God. I was mad at everyone and everything. Um, And so, you know, doctors, tests, treatments. How long of an endeavor was this for you guys? It was three years for us. Years. Okay. So like in hindsight now, I'm like, not that bad but when you're in it it's forever yeah it's it it took an eternity it felt like 
And so there, you know, as things progressed, we started to be a little more open about our struggles. And people were receptive, you know, so there were some kind words and prayers. And, you know, there was, you know, well, if it's not God's will, it's not God's will. Not helpful. No. <laughs> Hurtful. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So there were some well-intentioned, not great things that were said. And then this is where Monica Gossett comes into our story. <laughs> and you're probably like, wait, how did she get here? I thought this was going to be a safe episode. <laughs> what did she do? So one day, Monica calls me. Or she messes me on Facebook, and she's like, uh, call me. I'm like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, first of all, I hate talking on the phone. Yeah. I hate it. And second of all, I'm like, I don't know you that well. No, thank you. What do you want from me? You mostly knew her from like church camp. Right? Yeah, like I, I met her at church camp. And maybe a couple of youth things here and there. And Joshua and I, and I would pop in and out of Burns here. So we lived in Burns for a little while. And, you know, if we were running late, <laughs> Burns yeah. was right up the street. And, you know, start times were a little different. So it would work out for us. So we would pop in. So, you know, we knew some, some people. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And she bugged me into like, you know, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And so I talked to her. And um, I really enjoyed listening to her episode of this because she talked about how sometimes God put something on her heart and she doesn't want to do it. And I was one of the phone calls she did not want to make. And I did not want her to make that phone call either. So nobody was happy. Um, Yeah, like I'm a a pretty nice person. And I was very annoyed. Yeah. You know, she was like, I think God wants me to tell you this. You know, she said, you know, it will come. Be patient. You will be a mom. You know, I don't know how that will be. You might have a baby. You might adopt. You will be a mom. Be patient. And that infuriated me. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, "Uh cool. Yeah, that's really cool and easy for you to say goodbye. Yeah. Don't call me again. I was so upset. I did not appreciate that phone call. In fact, I called Josh. I was like, you will never believe the audacity to call me. (laughs) So that was in May of 2016. In August of 2016, I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) Um, You know, doctors said we would probably have about a 6% chance of ever having a child. A biological child. And so we tried treatments. Things didn't work. There were other treatment options, but we were just so exhausted. We were like, you know what? We're just, we're done for now. Yeah. We had some job changes coming up. We were like, you know what? Actually, it's not a good time for us. So we brought Josh and I both changed jobs in August of 2016, and we moved into a new house. And so... We had a lot of things just yeah. up in the air. And we were like, you know what? We'll worry about treatments later. Yeah. And then I finally saw two pink lines. And I remember just feeling like, wow. I should have listened. <laughs> right? And I was, it was such a, an answer prayer. Because I was like, okay. Where I'm, I am going to be a mom. I am going to have a baby. 
And then I had a fun high-risk pregnancy to deal with. You had a rough go. I did. I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to pregnancy. Does not agree with my body. So that was not a fun time. It's good to be a guy. Oh, it is. I'm glad you appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't recommend the whole being a female thing. Not planning on making a change. Not for the week. (laughs) Not for the week. So, yeah, it was an answered prayer. Still complications for sure. And it was it was scary because I'm like, okay, now I'm almost got this thing that I want so much, but what if it goes away? Yeah, yeah. I, a lot of people deal with miscarriage, stillborn, losing babies, and I was terrified of that. So it was a high risk pregnancy, so that's a possibility. All those things are on the table. Yeah. So having Ezra was complicated uh, you came and visited me yeah yeah i barely remember you were miserable i was miserable <laughs> um you know they, they i mean they told me they were like you're you probably you might not you might not survive this that those words were said ezra was whisked away to the NICU. i did not see him when he was born and i did not see him for the first 24 hours of his oh. life so that was hard so it, it didn't just become easy because I got what I wanted. <laughs> but I did get that answered prayer. And that was a very beautiful time for me. So God, God didn't say it was going to be easy. No. But it was worth it. So did you and Monica have to go have a follow-up conversation at some point? We never did. Uh, <laughs> that's what's happening. Ma- that's right what now. we're having right now, Monica. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you. It's funny, though. Yeah. Life doesn't ever happen on our timeline. and It doesn't. And letting go of that control and trusting that God's plan is better than mine was and is hard. Yeah. And it's still hard. The illusion of control is one of our greatest idols. Yeah. So you've had an Ezra. I've had an Ezra. I've, we've been foster parents, so we've had various other children Yes, in and out of our lives, and we had a, another surprise, Lyra, <laughs> uh, that we did not see coming at all. Surprise. Yeah. So it's fascinating how God's plan works out, because I could not see, I couldn't see this. Yeah. You know, in the darkness, in the difficulties of everything I could not imagine this life (laughs) and it is a beautiful life it is it's not an easy one no it is not you know you started again with um you know be who you wanted who you needed as a child Uh, and then you said a little bit later you know every kid is one carrying adult away from being a success story and you know you look at this this story that you've lived um the role that your grandfather played uh, the role that Chancey's played, the role that Josh has played. It's pretty cool to see how true those those sayings have been. And my favorite part of your story is how you are making that true for others still in your work and in your family. That's the goals for sure. Well, what are we missing? Um, I mean, I definitely don't want to give the impression that I have it all figured out. Yeah. 
So I think it's important that I, I love the way you say it. it's a rough draft, right? Yeah. You don't have to have it all figured out. I'm still figuring it out every single day. Yeah. I still fail every single day, but I'm trying and just trying to reconcile that I don't have to have all the answers, but I know where to find them. Yeah. And I think a piece of the puzzle that people don't fully appreciate uh, where church does its best work. Okay. The, the role of God in the universe. I can't minimize that. You know, he's God. All right. That's, that's huge. His spirit important, <laughs> huge, huge, huge. Number one. Yeah. Um, but church is not about coming and singing some songs that make you feel better. Um, in a large part, the work of the church is when Robins come and make you take your blood sugar and save your life. Yeah. And right, wrong, or indifferent, the Monicas make awkward phone calls or the whoever's bring over low-carb supper. <laughs> yeah. You know, in that stuff. In the thing I wish... I wish I could get people to understand in my role at church that this is going to sound terrible. Um, I don't really care if new people come on Sundays. I mean, I, I care. Yeah. But like the seeing a crowded room, it's fun. It feels good. But that doesn't do much yeah. for anybody um, except perhaps egos of some shallow-minded preachers and church leaders. <laughs> uh, where real good happens is when people get in each other's lives and do the stuff that you've talked about happening. Yeah. Uh, that's what, so, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're new to Burns, I, come to Sunday, sure, but I'd rather you come to Wednesday night or I'd rather you come to our small group on a Friday night. I'd rather you be in people's lives because that's where I think God does his best work. Absolutely. I think, you know, we're figuring out the love God part. Yeah. We really fall short on the loving people part. And it's tough because even sometimes when we, we are with good intent attempting to love neighbor. We hurt neighbor. Yeah. Uh, or at least our tone death. Well, anything else you want to share today? This has been fun. <laughs> it has been fun, surprisingly. Yeah. Now, I think the only other thing I wanted to add was, like you said, that importance of love and making sure that we really understand what that word means. Yeah. Love isn't tolerance. Yeah. Love is unconditional. Yeah. And I, I think just focusing on that, because that was a real struggle that I had to reconcile in the church. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, oh, I don't know if I want to use word, my liberal tendencies, but I'm a social worker and social justice and, you know, people who deal with complications because of who they are and where they come from are very near and dear to my heart. And that was something that as I became a parent, especially, I struggled with finding in the church. Love cannot just be a means to an end of winning a soul. Yeah. Love has to be genuine. And it comes from those relationships. It can't be done theoretically or hypothetically. It has to be done person to person. Yeah. I think sometimes we say love God, love neighbor, and it's almost a, I don't know, it's a romantic not in the sense of romance, but it's yeah. idealized. That's the word. Yeah. Um, an idealized thing. Well, that sounds so great. Of course I want to love neighbor. Well, that's great. But what if your neighbor, your neighbor snores yeah. uh, or has weird ear hair or votes stupid? Yeah. Do you actually love <laughs> your real neighbor, not just the idea of your neighbor? Yeah. Love isn't the absence of hate. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. It's more than that. It's not I just put up with. It's not tolerance. It's... Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about this podcast. Mm-hmm. I think that, like I said, hearing people's stories, it, it humanizes them. Mm-hmm. And when we realize that the people around us have dealt with things that maybe we've never known, I think it makes us better humans. Absolutely. Amanda, thanks for doing this. I hope I haven't taken off as many years from your life as Josh took off Tom and Carol's. Whew, I don't think so. I don't think it's possible. (laughs) We'd all be dead by then, I guess. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening today, and thank you for sharing this with a friend. Uh, Until we get back together again, I think God's going to do some cool stuff in your story, and I can't wait to hear about it. Thanks for listening to Rough Drafts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review. Until next time, let's keep looking for how God writes his love into our stories.